Hello and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication and this episode is a departure from what I typically do, as I just said, is one man musings on the works of Stephen King. Not this week, not tonight, not today, not this morning, not this afternoon, not whenever you are listening to this. Um, this is a very special episode because, as you know, over the last few episodes of the Stephen King cast, I have been talking about an upcoming Stephen King project, One for the Road, a movie based on Stephen King's short story from the 1970s publication of short stories, Night Shift. As you may know, uh, One for the Road is a, uh, it's a, it's a very well-written, uh, claustrophobic, I keep saying claustrophobic, it's not. That's not necessarily claustrophobic, but it's uh, um, very uh, tonally rich, very thrilling, quick little short story uh, taking place in a post-Salem's Lot um, Maine. Uh, so it, 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 it's very effective. It gets right to the point. Um, it, 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 it's just big on dread. It's just one of those short stories that, that really, really stands out. And over the last few weeks, I have been uh, really promoting this upcoming project, which is an adaptation on One for the Road. And today, I have been lucky enough to have some time to actually sit down and talk with the writer-director of the upcoming adaptation, One for the Road, Josh Brucker. And what you're about to listen to is almost an hour-long conversation in which Josh um, tells us about his life, about how he came to One for the Road, the process of acquiring a dollar baby, how you take uh, the dollar baby and, and turn it into an actualization of a movie, what that whole process entails. Josh is someone you'll see that um, he's not living in Hollywood Hills. He had a vision and he's doing everything within his power to to make that vision a reality. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to see what, what making a movie looks like um, from really the, the grassroots and from someone that, that really has a drive and a will and a resolve to actualize his vision. It was very, very inspiring to talk to him. Uh, we had not just a good conversation about One for the Road, um, but we just had a, a good conversation in general about inspiration, creativity, critters, <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park, um, and the, 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 the much ignored uh, Night Flyer. Josh and I were able to, to geek out over our mutual love of the, uh, the, the great Stephen King adaptation of another vampire short story, Night Flyer. So um, I, I think that all you guys will, will enjoy it. Make sure, guys, that, that you, you check out One for the Road uh, 2018.com. That's the official website for One for the Road. And if you go to Indiegogo and type in One for the Road, you'll be able to see the Indiegogo campaign. And it outlines everything that you can do to, to help make this movie come to fruition. Um, 
this is the time, guys. We are in the midst of a, a, a massive resurgence of interest for, for Stephen King, and you can have a part um, in, in, in bringing a Stephen King um, adaptation to life. And after this conversation with Josh, I think that you will be completely on board. So enjoy. So I guess just just to back up and just like really set the table, um, we're we're all going to know you as as Josh Brucker, and that that's how you pronounce your last name, right? Yeah, and it's actually very awesome because you're probably the first person that I've ever met who's never heard my name before uh, pronounce it correctly. So, uh, what does everyone say? Does everyone say Brucker? Yeah, it's usually Brucker, or uh, for some reason, uh, people have the tendency to add an N in so it's like Bruckner even okay. though it's it's not in there at all <laughs> it's yeah. so weird yeah I, I hear that um so yeah so everyone is going to know you um as as Josh Brucker the the uh writer director of One for the Road so I guess just back it up a little bit and just um just tell us about you like where you come from like what what is your story like when did you first find your creativity when did you first find Stephen King what led you down the road that ultimately led you to find One for the Road well, I've been a, a fan of horror movies ever since I can uh, really remember. Um, you know, growing up, it's all I used, used to watch. My parents really didn't have much of a filter. Yeah. Um, so my dad, you know, he'd let me rent movies like uh, Friday the 13th movies, Halloween, things like that. But uh, the first movie, it's going to sound strange, but um, I was about three when Jurassic Park hit, uh, hit theaters. And, uh, you know, we, we think about it now. It's not. Uh, it's 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 a fun fun movie to watch, and we typically don't think of it as a as a scary movie. But uh, I, I distinctly remember, you know, even being about three or four years old, um, being just absolutely terrified of the uh, Velociraptors when they're hunting. Was it Lex and Tim in yeah. the kitchen? Yeah. And it was just uh, that fear, I guess, is sort of just stuck with me my whole life, really, and. Uh, you know, I've been trying to chase that high ever since. And um, then I started writing, I think, probably about, I don't know, seven or eight years old. My parents bought a first desktop that, uh, I think it was like a gateway thing, weighed probably like 150 <laughs> pounds. Yeah. But, and it had that, uh, it came with that stock word processor that right. I think Windows 98 did, or 95, one of the two. Um, but yeah, just started writing stories. I know I found myself writing a lot of uh, fan fiction uh, early on, so this is kind of uh, kind of brings me back to my roots. So I get to have the opportunity to sort of adapt a story that I've found uh, pretty awesome since I was a kid. So, what were and, some of uh, the earliest fan fictions that you were oh, writing? Oh man, it's it's terrible. I would not even want to look at it now, and I'm so glad that that's all probably destroyed. But uh, man, I used to watch um, used to watch Critters a lot growing up. Used to write about that. Used to write a lot of Jaws fan fiction, and um, just things like that. Things that would pop into my brain. And okay, I'd just that. Okay, them so down. okay, okay. So with a, with critters fan fiction, what is? Did you like explore the origins of the bounty hunters? Did you keep it in space? Did you like focus on like just the the critters running rampant all over Kentucky? Like what? Now I'm yeah, really pretty interested much in just, critters uh, fan fiction. Ate everybody. <laughs> okay. It just pretty much ate everything, and uh, I made it just gory bloodbaths. It was amazing. So yeah, I um, yeah I just started uh, writing, and uh, it really kind of you know stuck with me, and uh, I always had a knack for it. 
and um, always was able to blend my love of horror with writing. And I actually I started writing short stories and things like that um, maybe a few years ago. And I always wanted to take a stab at writing uh, screenplays. And that's sort of part of my passion, too. I really, really enjoy, um, you know, creating something that I feel like would translate well uh, onto the screen. And um, I think one of the, yeah, it was an idea that I sort of tossed around about sort of chasing, uh, maybe becoming a professional screenwriter. And um, the idea just sort of instantly popped in my head. I was like, well, why don't I just create a horror movie? Yeah. Why, why do I just have to, you know, put myself in that box? Why can't I just open that box and uh, go after something that's a lot bigger than I had imagined? So that's, here I am. That's awesome. Um, so, I, so, I mean, aside from, from writing uh, Critters fanfic, uh, growing up, um, I mean, did you did you go to school for screenwriting, um, or are you completely self-taught? I guess is the best word I can come up with. Yeah, no, I went to uh, I went to school for uh, I, I majored in history. Um, you know, there's a lot of writing involved in that, yeah. a lot of papers and everything like that. Um, but yeah, I'm sort of self-taught. I used to write uh, reviews for um, a horror website called uh, Splat's Blood. And they review a lot of uh, short films and a lot of indie films that were uh, coming down the pipeline. And uh, I got to know one of the directors, and uh, he had had made a short film about black-eyed children, I believe that that uh, that myth or that folklore, folktale. And um, so he and I started corresponding. And he sort of tutored me in screenwriting uh, just a bit. But, um, you know, I've been just consuming as much information as possible since then. So I'm sort of, yeah, pretty much self-taught. That's great. That's, I mean, that, that's so, that's inspiring that, that you just went out, just went out and did it. You know, so many people say that they they want to do it or, you know, they wish they did it, but you just buckled down and did it, um, which is awesome. So. Yeah, thank you. No, <laughs> no problem. So, I mean, you're in Chicago, right? Uh, just, uh, actually, uh. I'd say about 30 minutes south of Chicago. Okay. But, so, yeah, so, like, right dead in the middle of uh, soybean fields and cornfields. <laughs> okay. So you're 30 miles um, away from Chicago, and you have dreams to to just go out there and, and do it. So there is a, a huge leap between the want to go do something and, like I said, actually going out and do something. So how did you ultimately find... Stephen King as a source of of inspiration, or Stephen King as a as a source for a vehicle for you to be able to do this. Um, how did you how did you go about getting on the road to to to, to writing and directing one for the road? Yeah, um, <clears throat> so uh, like I may have mentioned before, I can't remember, but um, the first book that I had read of Stephen King's wasn't actually a, a book; it was Night Shift, mm. that uh, collection of short stories. And that was the first time I really um, sort of investigated, you know, his works. Um, I think I, I bought it at a garage sale, I think, actually, when I was a kid, and I still have the, the paperback here with me today, and I pick it up from time to time. But Which cover One is for it? the Road, it's the um, um, I'm the Doorway cover. Yes, that's the yeah, one that it, I have. That's, that's, that is the cover for me. It is falling apart. I have to be very careful with it, but... Yeah. <laughs> Pages are falling out and everything. It's awesome. Sign of a good book. But yes, 
Um, but yeah, uh, and one for the road always uh, stuck with me. That story, I believe, it's what one of the last stories in the whole collection, I believe. And um, you know, as I was making my way through it, sort of bounced around. I didn't get to one for the road until I actually uh, was about ready to put the book down. And uh, it was just something about that that really stuck with me. So I can go back to you know wanting to pursue screenwriting and wanted, wanting to pursue film. I kind of didn't know where I wanted to go. You know, I kind of put together about uh, three or four little uh, uh, screenplays uh, for short film because I knew I'd probably want to do a short film just to get my name out there at first. But, um, you know, I usually, you know, I like to listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to your podcast a lot. Thank you. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> Before I even got involved in this, so that was pretty cool. Awesome. Um, I listen to other, you know, Stephen King themed podcasts and, I listen to other book review podcasts and movie podcasts, and it's pretty much all I've been consuming um, for a while now. But um, I, I had uh, I listened to a review of One for the Road on a podcast. Um, I think it's called Books and Nachos. Mm-hmm. Have you, are you familiar with that? I've I've heard of those guys. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So they were going through through the uh, the question too, and. Uh, they started talking about the Dollar Baby projects that um, a few filmmakers have made, and um, that sort of sparked my idea. You know, I said, "This is a story that I've absolutely loved uh, since uh, uh, every few years. Why wouldn't I want to do something like this?" And that was, I think, back in December, and uh, uh, um, here we are today. So, how do you? I, how does the the Dollar baby process works. So for, for listeners who might not be aware of what a dollar baby is, can you just explain what a dollar baby is and how you went about pursuing this? Yeah, so basically I think uh, back in the 70s, uh, King sort of wanted to give back to uh, other creative types who were inspired by his works. I think well, Frank Darabont was one of the first people, wasn't it? Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. I think he did went in the room. And, uh, yeah, so he, he offers uh, you know certain um, short stories that he has that haven't been uh, purchased by big studios. Um, it allows young filmmakers and sometimes film students as well to sort of adapt his work. And I think it's a, a part of his uh, his website. All you pretty much do is you um, select the short story you want to adapt. Uh, you put all your information in uh, website, I think all that jazz and uh, you just write a short little paragraph talking about what direction you want to take it in what kind of um, or I should say when I applied I should say that's sort of the way that I described it uh, my background and uh, my hopes um, that I have creating the project and I'll get submitted and um, I think a few days later you're gonna get an email it's got a contract, and you read over the contract, and you sign it, and you send in just a blank dollar bill. That's incredible. Now, is there a – do you have a time limit when you need to make this movie by? Yeah. Uh, so I think it's a year after you – the date that you put on the contract. I know um, I had actually – when I signed my contract back in uh, late January, I would actually anticipated – making it much sooner than I am, but, um, they're, they're very lenient. Uh, so I ended up contacting his offices again and, uh, they said that I just contact them 
uh, when we get closer to um, actually rolling film, I they'll just add an extension to my contract that which would allow me more time to get the film made, uh, cut, edited, and uh, submitted to film festivals. I guess you know when when we all sit around and we think about you know a movie being made, you know we think of Hollywood studios and these big budget productions. Um, so I mean, this seems to have like a real you know you know do it yourself um, feel to it. I mean, did you need to get an agent? I mean, are you working with a producer or anything like that? Yeah, um, I actually started planning most of the stuff uh, you know on my own on the side uh, as I was kind of sort of getting into it, and eventually I brought on a producer, and uh, she's actually from uh, where I'm going to be filming the movie. So she's got connections and she knows people, and that that's pretty awesome. And uh, she's experienced in um, in film. I think she graduated from uh, Biola just about four or five years ago. Okay. And she's been in the business ever since. So it's good to have her, um, you know, helping us plan everything. I think she's got. She took care of all the SAG uh, information. Mm-hmm. She uh, we created a production company. And, uh, yeah. In terms of just, uh, the, I guess the logistics of actually filming the movie, um, you know, you said that, you know, you went to school for history, you know, how, how did you train yourself with, with the cameras and like just what equipment to use and, and what was going to be best suited for, for what you needed to do? Um, was that a challenge for you? Um, not necessarily. Um. You know, I sort of, I mean, I, I, when I adapted the, the short story, I put it, um, you know, created the screenplay. I knew everything that I wanted to do, um, sort of had the shot list in my brain as I was even writing it down. And uh, I talked to a couple cinematographers uh, who were really excited about the project and um, definitely saw my vision and I ended up uh, landing with one that uh, his name's Scott Hoffman and he's out of uh, Minneapolis. Minnesota. I'm actually filming up in the um, on the Canadian border in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but he offered, um, you know, I think he's shooting on a, uh, a 6K Red Dragon, uh, which is going to offer um, some very vibrant shots. And I've got a few scenes in the story that does not take place at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, the camera does really well also in uh, low light settings like in a bar so I knew that that would work and he's got um, like a 4k drone and that's gonna look really awesome because I've got a few ideas um, for opening and closing scenes okay things like that but uh, yeah so when it comes to you know sort of understanding that I trust my cinematographer quite a bit mm-hmm. since I'm sort of new into this everybody that I have involved in the project also knows that too and they all know that I I'm not going to be a stickler on set. I want to allow people to express themselves creatively also. So if somebody comes to me and has an idea, we're going to talk about it. If I think it's super awesome, we're going to go with it. And um, that's the way it is with actually all of my crew, even all the way down to the production system. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that, that creates for just a much more freeing collaborative experience where, where everyone where everyone just has a say, and then that, that creates more buy-in. Um, I, I would think. I, 
and and the more someone's passionate about a project um, in all aspects of, of of the film, I mean, you you can see the movies where where that's the case. So I mean, that that's right. That's great that you you're, you're taking that that particular approach. So I I guess um, I, my next question would be, um, you know, clearly you're 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 literally adapting one for the road, but you know, what are aside from the the original text, um, just what what are some some inspirations that that you're carrying with you, you know, in the forefront of your brain when you sit down and you want to film this movie. You know, what classic movies um, or other stories or other books. You know, what what comes to you. You know, what what are your aspirations? What you know, what are you what are you trying to achieve here visually and in terms of in terms of story? Right. So, um, you know, as as goofy as uh, some people tend to think that uh, Toby Hooper's uh, Salem's Lot was, now some is, I've, I've I've heard people say that it was pretty overacted mm-hmm. and things like that. But I actually really really dug the the vampire look, and that's something that we're really going to try to recreate in this film. And uh, made a few changes as well. Um, I know in other adaptations of people have filmed of One for the Road, uh, Booth character is typically. Um, sometimes younger, mm-hmm. sometimes the same age as uh, Tukey. Uh, and then in the short story, they're both older guys. But, um, you know, I made uh, Booth younger in my version because it was something that I felt like um, would help me uh, tell the story better because uh, the direction I'm going to take the film is mostly going to be in Booth's perspective, uh, though it's going to encompass... Uh, all of the things that happen, it's going to hit the same beats as a short story. But um, I've always had great relationships with uh, with my father, um, with my uncles, with uh, older cousins, people that I could look up to, and uh, that's sort of uh, the Booth character that that I have in mind. And the actor that I have playing Booth um, shares those same feelings as well. Uh, he's an uncle uh, to uh, some wonderful kids. He's also been a uh, nephew to some great uncles. And uh, that's that particular character really stuck out to him. So the two of us uh, have a really good idea of that character. And I think that's going to work pretty well. Awesome. So you, you mentioned Salem's Lot. And you know hopefully everyone listening knows that One for the Road um, is a pseudo-sequel. Um, if you, I guess right, I yeah, I should have that. said that. I'm sorry. No, no, it's a, it's 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 okay. But I mean that that's I, I, that's, that's one of the the cool aspects of of the story itself is that it shows right. you what what life in Maine is like post Salem's Lot. So, I mean, just in terms of like studio rights and stuff, I mean, w- what are you able to to play with within your story? I know that um, uh, since this is a um, non-commercial project, um, I'm not necessarily bound by anything that I know of. Um, you know, I think if, if I'm putting the story out there to make money off of, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I would be bound by um, some sort of uh, rules, regulations, things like that. And uh, as far as the um, contract that you signed with King, uh, it doesn't specify, okay. which is why in my story, I also kind of uh, um, hint at other uh, famous locations that King has used in yes. other uh, books as That's well. That's awesome. Now, I believe, I think, um, just uh, just to give an example, and when um, 
Lumley is uh, explaining his story to uh, Tuki and Booth. Uh, they're on their way to see their sister, or their, his wife's sister in Derry. Perfect. Things like that. That's awesome. And, um, you know, since my story, uh, we're actually filming in September, so it's not going to be, obviously, in the middle of a snowstorm. Um, I know when they try to phone the sheriff in the short story, they can't because the, the line's been knocked down from the north nor'easter. Mm-hmm. So, um, and when Booth makes a phone call and uh, he turns back to Tukey, he says, uh, well, did you let it? Tukey asks him, well, nobody answered. Did you let it patch into dispatch? Booth says something like, uh, well, they're all the way up in Castle Rock. <laughs> things like that. Awesome. Just little nods to, to, to other things, I think. That's great. Um, audience will find pleasing yeah absolutely i mean you know i mean we're i've been experiencing that lately um every time i sit down and i i see a new um you know marketing campaign for the dark tower and they've been like really lately really beefing up all the the connections to to stephen king works so you know the more that you lean into that i mean you're you're just gonna tickle that that fanboy funny bone you know i mean yeah exactly like i actually watched uh uh, part of the uh, Darabont's The Mist earlier, and you had that geek moment in the beginning. Oh, right away, uh, yeah. With, with the paintings, so just something like that. Awesome. Yeah, it's something that always stood out to me, little Easter eggs. Um, and I guess my next question would be, um, yeah, so how did you go about finding the location that you ultimately are, are going to film in? Um, and because snow is so integral to the story itself how are you going to to make that work so yeah uh, as far as my locations go um is more of uh sort of putting my finger on a map Mm um i'm from illinois i know that i have to go i'm gonna have to travel quite quite a ways to to find a setting that i would actually uh feel that would fit the story and um, I did a lot of research as far as uh, um, forests, um, you know, some of the, um, as far as, um, uh, I don't know, blanking, I'm sorry. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, the vegetation, uh, mm-hmm. trees, things like that, the sceneries, uh, how dense the forest is. Um, how clear the forest can be sometimes, um, how rural the area is going to be, um, versus, you know, we don't want a backdrop of a city in the background, things right. like that. Right. So, um, so I found this little town, uh, called Rainier up in, uh, Minnesota and it just spoke to me. Uh, the Voyager national park, uh, sort of in that area and it kind of rides along uh, rainy Lake. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I did a lot of research into Voyagers, and uh, I knew that place was just going to be awesome. Uh, it was just a, about a 10-hour drive from where I live, um, and a quick flight, and they have a little airport even in town there anybody can fly into. Uh, so I knew the area was going to be accessible, um, had that small-town feel that I wanted, and uh, it offered that, that rural area that I wanted as well. So that's why I sort of chose that area. And uh, we scouted it a bit, and uh, I'm not sure if uh, you have seen uh, some of the location shots that we've done. Yeah, I've checked. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen them. But why don't you describe for our listeners, um, you know, just what you've been able to find? Yeah, so as far as um, the road to Salem's Lot, 
would go. Essentially, what we're going to be filming on would be something like um, a good uh, um, ATV trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of dug out uh, as if cars would be driving through. But uh, it's got some really awesome um, uh, rock formations in the ground that sort of give the look that there once was an asphalt road there. And it had crumbled and fell apart. And it just looked very awesome. And it's really hilly. Uh, through that whole area, it would offer some very, very atmospheric shots. So, sort of, <clears throat> uh, the area just really spoke to me, and uh, I was just sold. And I got to know a lot of the um, uh, people in the community, and uh, I just absolutely just fell in love with everyone, and uh, fell in love with the area. It's sort of become my little uh, home away from home, if you will. So, how much how much time are you? So. Wh- are you there currently? Or are you in? Are you back home? Um, so where? Like I guess where are you right now? I, I'm back at home. Um, okay. Did spend about um, three or four days there mm-hmm. shooting some material for the Indiegogo campaign. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've been up there um, twice, and I'm actually going up there again um, for a third time here in a few weeks. Okay. In terms of the the Indiegogo campaign, I have. Um, you know, I've I've been plugging it on on the show, um, so why don't you uh, you know tell us uh, you know what the Indiegogo campaign entails? Um, the you know maybe talk a little bit about the the different um, you know categories that that you can buy into, um, and and just what what the progress is so far. Yeah, so as far as the campaign goes, uh, I sort of have it laid out, kind of describe um, where I'm coming at as far as being a filmmaker and being a screenwriter and uh, what direction I want to take the film in. And uh, we, I put up uh, quite a few pieces of artwork that we had done. I had an uh, artist out of uh, Minneapolis uh, put together a couple um, storyboards and some uh, character art. So we've got that up there for everyone to see. And uh, as far as the perks go, um, sort of modeled them after... Um, Drinks that you would order at a bar. I, th- I found that pretty fitting. Which was a great touch. I mean, I love right. that. And I just felt like it um, It just fit perfectly. But yeah, um, as far as our perks go, um, you know, donors can uh, expect things like um, digital downloads of our uh, original soundtrack, um, access to view the film, obviously, uh, production stills and uh, official posters, Um uh, signed posters, and uh, also we've got crew T-shirts, and uh, we also offer um, a higher perk. I have a signed um, crew T-shirt as well. That'll be by the cast and crew, and you know uh, credits like um, co-producer, associate producer, executive producer, producer, mm-hmm. things like that. And uh, one really cool perk that I um, thought of. Uh, sort of envision a scene in the film that after um, everything on the road transpires with uh, Jane uh, and Gerard and we sort of uh, um, our heroes our protagonists anyways sort of disappear uh, running from the chaos that they had just seen sort of envision um, as we have uh, sort of voiceover uh, from the older Booth character Mm -hmm. Um, we'd focus in on a missing poster of uh, the Lumley family. Mm-hmm. 
and then the camera would pull back and reveal just dozens of other missing posters. And uh, so one of our perks is uh, you donate, send us a photo of you or someone, uh, a friend, family, doesn't matter. Uh, but we'll feature you on one of the missing posters. So cool. That That's that's a really clever perk right there. Um, and I guess one, one of the perks that... I'm most excited about, um, which brings me to the next thing that we can talk about is, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the perks, um, if, if you donate, um, and I can't remember which, which, um, which amount of money it is, but you could share a scene with the one, the only legendary Lance Hendrickson, correct? Yeah, definitely. Actually, there's, uh, uh, two perks that involve that. It's, uh, the Mai Tai and the Bloody Mary, uh, One's fifteen hundred, and the other one's uh, two thousand. Okay, so, so yeah. that's that is incredible news. Um, as a longtime fan of that actor, first of all, congratulations on on nabbing uh, Lance Hendrickson for for the role. That that's a huge get. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think I have even processed it yet. Yeah, that was crazy when you told have. me that. I could not believe that 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 you got him. That's that's awesome. That's so. How did that? How did that? How did that work out? Did you envision him for the role? Did you like have just a list of different actors that you you know the, the like a wish list? Um, how did that work out? And how did you wind up reaching out to him and and just walk us through that whole story? Yeah. So um, it started with uh, writing the screenplay. I. Um, the short story had the that, that first-person uh, narration, and I knew that I sort of wanted to do that. But I also knew that um, my Booth character was going to be younger, and I knew that I wanted an older character to be sort of telling the story. So I sort of created this old Booth character to sort of uh, open the film mm-hmm. and then close the film. And uh, I, Lance was just one of the top one of my top choices. And, uh, so basically it, it's, it's, it was actually a pretty simple process. And I'm actually was, uh, very pleased when I was able to hear back from his manager. So just basically emailed her, told her my, um, uh, my ideas for the film, sent her the shooting draft. And, uh, from there we sort of talked back and forth and, um, you know, Lance ended up reading it. He said that he loved it and, uh, he was on board. That's crazy. That's so <laughs> cool. That is so I know. cool. Um, so when you, when you, um, reach the, the funding, um, that you need, when would production go, when would it start? Um, well, our tentative shooting dates right now, um, September 18th through the 22nd. So, um, about a month after the campaign would wrap. So, I mean, August is going to be a pretty busy month for me. Yeah. Into September. Yeah. And what about the other actors that you have working with you? Um, can you tell us a little bit about them and then how you wound up getting them? Yeah, so um, as far as Tukey, it's played by Don Scribner. Um, uh, actually, um, my special effects makeup artist is from Rainier. But um, he sort of grew up there his whole life. And he got to know, when he was a younger man, uh, Don Scribner, um, who is local to that area as well. Well, Don ended up growing up, becoming an actor, uh, moving to L.A., and uh, sort of uh, has been writing the, the, the B-film circuit for a while now. He's just uh, such an awesome guy. 
and uh, I was I had the chance to uh, speak with him. Uh, my uh, special effects makeup artist uh, Rick Holland put me in contact, and so that's how we sort of um, developed our uh, friendship out of that. And uh, Matt Roy is going to be playing uh, the younger booth, and uh, actually um, he runs a little production company out of uh, Minneapolis. And um, I had sort of inquired about maybe him filling a position on my crew, I think. And then, um, you know, we started talking back and forth about the film. And then I don't know why it did not dawn on me, but he was also an actor. So then we started talking about his experience. And uh, he, he told me um, he was he had a, a little role in um, I Am Not a Serial Killer. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie at yeah. all. Yeah. He is the uh, he played. Um, that sort of homeless man that was killed by um, uh, Christopher Lloyd out on the uh, um, on the ice. Oh my God! So, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's sort of a role, but I, as soon as he told me that, I instantly knew exactly uh, who he was. And uh, you know, we started talking more about the character, uh, where I wanted to go with it, and uh, it just all just came together right there, um, right in front of the two of us. And um, uh, as far as Gerard goes, um, I know I've seen other adaptations. Uh, I've read the story clearly hundreds <laughs> of times. Yeah. <laughs> and and the way that Gerard always um, sort of was portrayed in my mind as some sort of naive, sort of uh, crybaby. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I knew that I wanted to do something a bit different with. With Gerard, I wanted him to be sympathetic. I wanted the audience to see the pain and to see his his fears and to see the struggle and all of the emotions that he's going through. So I started looking um, again for actors in that area, and I came across uh, Daniel Belinsky, and I was able to uh, catch a few of his movies. And uh, that's sort of the character that he's always played. He's always played somebody who's who's struggled and. Uh, who's always able to, and he's always been able to convey uh, serious emotion. And uh, that really spoke to me. So he and I started talking and, uh, you know, got him on board as well. Cool, man. Like, it's just to, to, I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask earlier, did you say that, did you say that you were three years old when Jurassic Park came out? Yeah. Uh, well, what year did it come out? I think 93? it was 1993. How old yeah. were you? Maybe four. I'm 28 right now. 28. Okay. Um, yeah. So I was born in '89. All right. So I mean, to to hear someone that is still you know relatively young, um, that you are just, you know, using I guess like a vampire metaphor, you are just bearing down on life. Um, you know, in the jugular, it is so inspiring to to hear because I I think about myself when I was 28 years old and I was just kind of a mess and I I couldn't imagine like. <laughs> You know, going out and having this vision to be able to, you know, write this script and then say, you know, from this script, I'm going to actually build an entire movie and then scouting it and, you know, finding um, the, the locations that I would need to shoot, talking to special, uh, you know, makeup, you know, um, effects and um, talking to cinematographers and actors and, you know, everything that you're doing is not the, the, the type of things that you know, when we go to school and the things that we are taught, these are not the things that, that are taught to us. So right. to, to hear that, you know, you at 28 years old, you had this vision and 
you know, this was not experience that, that you had, but you taught yourself how to do it. I, I think that for anyone listening, you know, we might not, you know, those, those of us listening might not, you know, go out and make a movie, but, but hopefully, you know, people are listening and can see that if you, you know, have the wherewithal and the resolve to go out and do this, that we all can just step outside our comfort zones and attack life and, and try and make something. So what you are doing, aside from making a movie, Josh, you are also creating inspiration for everyone out there that, you know, might be, you know, creative in some regard, but might be hesitant at the same time to actually pursue those um, creative indulgences. So just as a creative type myself, you know, just thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, Because you're not just making a vampire movie, you're also just, you're doing it. And that's important. Um, So when you, when you meet your goal, you make your movie, um, what, what is next? What, what would the next step be? Yeah, uh, I've sort of, uh, and, and thank you uh, for those kind words. Yeah, and that's, no um, you know, I've always sort of uh, found myself doing that. And I don't know if it's just something that I was born with, um, but certain things of motivations uh, tend to come naturally. Mm. But um, I think it was the story of Stephen King's Daughter Babes that really spoke to me as well, too. Mm-hmm. Is that you know he wanted to inspire creativity in people and uh, allow them to um, express themselves um, artistically because film's an art. That's why I've always looked at it, yeah. and uh, it's sort of something that I also wanted to do with uh, my production crew. Uh, like I spoke earlier, I know I want to see everyone's creativ- creativity come through, and uh, actually, uh, my composer. Um, is just a small town guy uh, from Rainier. He's just um, a self-taught musician. Uh, he he works on um, uh, riffs, and uh, I know he's done some uh, game composing on the side. But it's just something he's always been passionate about. And um, you know, instead of contacting someone who is sort of involved in you know film uh, composition things like that, um, I wanted to give him the opportunity to you know, put his name out there, put his stuff out there, let everybody see, you know, some of the awesome things that he's got mm-hmm. to offer everyone else. You know, it's, this is, it's, it, yeah, like you said, it's just, it's much more than just making a vampire film. Yeah. And, uh, it's so awesome that, uh, um, that you acknowledge that. And, uh, thank you again for the kind words. Of course. Of course. I mean, you know, like it's what you're doing is, uh, it's important stuff. Um, I mean, when, when it's all done, I mean, are you going to pursue another dollar baby? Do you have any, anything that that's percolating, um, you know, next steps for you? I've been so consumed with this film yeah. that I just really haven't thought about it. I know it's not the end of the road for me, mm. um, pun intended, <laughs> Yeah, but, um, um, you know, I'm still going to be doing some screenwriting and, uh, hopefully this film will get my name out there mm-hmm. and, um, things like that. And, uh living the dream you know so in terms of in terms of writing you said you know we start you started out you know writing fanfic um and you know then you segued into writing some short stories so i mean are are you focusing primarily on you know writing scripts are you still writing short stories have you dabbled in a novel yeah so you know i 
always been uh, writing creative fiction, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, writing screenplays is about the same thing. But uh, you know, I've always just it's, it's writing screenplays. Uh, I always found just be much more fulfilling than um, writing a book or writing a short mm-hmm. story. Because I knew, because I know what I'm writing can be translated into film, and I could just picture it instantly. And I know what would work, and well, at least I think I know it would work. And uh, it's just always been something that I had so much, I had so much fun writing. So I think I'm just going to focus right now on on screenplays. Now, when you when you're writing the screenplays, what what are some some aspects of of writing that that come easy to you, and what are some of the aspects that are more challenging to you? Um, as far as writing screenplays, I think since I, you know, I wasn't a uh, classically trained sort of self-taught, and I spoke of uh, some tutoring that I had on the mm-hmm. side. Um, I think it was more of just the. Format and structure, I think, is something I had to get used to. But now that I'm, I'm completely used to it. It's uh, it just flows right out of me. And um, and in a screenplay, you don't necessarily have to be so uh, creative because you don't want to be long-winded mm. uh, in your descriptions. So you focus on just a very fine points. And I think that speaks to me. It gives me the ability to um, convey maybe about a paragraph or two that you would find in a short story mm. in a line or two in the screenplay. And um, knowing that that would translate well into film uh, just always spoke to me. So, Fantastic. All right, so Josh, we are currently making this movie in the midst of a, a Stephen King um, renaissance. So I can't think of a better time for you to, yeah. to actually be doing this. So with the uh, yesterday, um, New Line Cinema dropped the, the second trailer for It. Next week, we have The Dark Tower coming out. Um, sometime next year, we have Castle Rock coming out on Hulu. Mm-hmm. So uh, of... Of all of the, the Stephen King projects that are about to, to hit, you know, um, you know, screens, all the different kinds of screens that are coming up. I mean, I know that the one that you're looking forward to the most is One for the Road, but um, <laughs> other than One for the Road, I mean, it, what, what are you looking at? Like, what is, like, really getting you jazzed more than anything else? Uh, I think It right now um, is number one on my radar. Um, I, you know, I actually... Uh, um, do not crucify me, but I have not read his um, uh, his Dark Tower series. I'll I haven't, I haven't picked I'll any of them up. Okay, thank yeah. you. <laughs> but um, um, so I don't know the story. You know, I've I've listened to um, you discuss it, and I've listened to other podcasts and other people discuss it as well. Uh, I'm interested, but I think the most uh, that I've got um, excited about recently is uh, it. Like you said, they just dropped that new trailer yesterday, and it looks pretty awesome yeah, so it really does um so i mean what were you a fan of the the tim curry version oh yeah yeah so like i told you uh before my parents had no filter so of course as a kid i would i was watching it on tv and everything like that yeah and it was, it was I, my mom still tells me today that uh she worked at a nursing home when i was younger and her friends uh would always just vilify her for allowing a young child to sit and watch um, that mini series, but uh, I thank her for it. Yeah, <laughs> because it, it I worked out in the it, end. It created something in me. Yeah. So. But yeah, I I do definitely remember that, and you know I 
you get into discussions with uh, family and friends about um, where this film is going versus, you know, the Tim Curry one, and everybody always talks about how awesome Tim Curry is. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited about the new Pennywise myself. It's a really good look, um, and everything oh, that yeah. I've I've read, um, you know, I I just the the amount of thought that went into the construction of this new Pennywise, I'm 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 very impressed. So I, I'm 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 more excited about this than than I really thought I was going to be. Um, so it's just a great, it's just really a great time to be a Stephen King fan. Um, yeah, definitely. And I didn't even really you know pick up on all this stuff, you know, back in January when I first really started you know, working on this, you know, I mean, I don't think dark tower is even on too many, too many people's radar back it's in not. January. Yeah. It's still, yeah. Not. Cause it was still like pretty, pretty dead. It seemed Yeah, at that time. And I knew that we knew it was coming out, but, um, yes, I, I don't think I knew, uh, that the, uh, the miss TV series was coming out and we certainly didn't know anything about castle rock. Mm-hmm. So all of this stuff started to come out as I was making this film, and it was just, uh, I was just a geek at Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I know that you know you had you had referenced Toby Hooper's um, Salem's Lot, which um, you know the the fact that you're gonna you know reference the the the, the vampire look um, from that movie is I think that's a, a really a great touch because that that image that cover I think of um salem's lot the the movie with um barlow just hovering over the the marston house um Mm -hmm. it's one of the more iconic images from horror um the horror genre um so i mean that yeah definitely that image is is is, you know it's it's very nosferatu but i there are some differences between that and the nosferatu vampire so if you are um you know, going to be incorporating some of that look. That's definitely a smart move on your part. Um, so, but in terms of, I guess, other Stephen King adaptations, um, you know, there's a lot of debates out there about, you know, what constitutes a good Stephen King adaptation, what constitutes a poor Stephen King adaptations. But what, what are some of your favorite, you know, translations out there that have been made throughout the years? All right. So, um, you know, I think I even just posted today on Instagram. Um, I'm actually going to be watching this night. Night Flyer is probably my favorite. Oh, and so glad that you said that. I think Night Flyer <laughs> needs more love. More people need to talk about that movie. No one talks I, about that movie. I don't even see anybody talking about it at all either. You know, I even I looked uh, just curious as far as you know how much even the uh, the DVD of it is running, and must have had just a fairly limited release because some of them are original packaging is going for you know up to 60 to 70 dollars mm. so that tells me that not many people own it yeah. you know what i mean and uh it's never ever played on on television or or any uh cable channels so um and yeah i just absolutely i loved miguel ferrer in that film i love the vampire look that the scene with um I can't believe that I'm blinking. Uh, Renfield. Mm-hmm. Just peeing into the urinal. Yeah. And Mikhail looking back and all he sees is just uh, the uh, him urinating. It's, it's amazing. Just that. Just all the small touches. Um, you know, some of the, the minor characters. Um, they just have so much... I don't even know. I'm geeking out right now. I don't have any. Uh, I don't <laughs> no, have any words. I, I mean, that 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 movie. <laughs> I you know I I enjoyed. 
I enjoyed it when it first came out because uh, I, I distinctly remember going out to my local movie um, rental store and you know uh, renting it. Um, and then I, it was a movie that I, I, I would just rent here and there. I mean, not often, but here and there and watch it. And I finally remembered it. Um, and then I really enjoyed it again for the purposes of uh, reviewing the podcast and, mm-hmm. you know, watching it again, um, with some years distance between when I had first watched it, you know, I mean, I had, I had worried that it might be cheesy upon rewatch. Um, but mm-hmm. no, that, that movie, I think that it's, it's very effective, the, the director knew exactly what he wanted to do. Um, I mean, and, and some stylistic choices that he made, like when he just switches to black and white at the end and the, the, mm-hmm. the mist is rolling in. It just looks great. The movie looks good. Um, and I just don't feel like there was a big budget. So, I mean, I, I think that right. you know, how they, they use their money was, was just dead on. Like you said, Miguel Ferrar, rest in peace, was just... Mm-hmm incredible perfect for that role he knew exactly yeah. how to play richard d's the vampire look yeah the the, the music like the, the movie i'm glad to hear that you like yeah. this movie because more people no one ever when they talk about stephen king adaptations i mean they they talk about you know carrie and they talk about it they talk about the, the shining one way or another but mm-hmm. no one no one talks about the night flyer and it just that that confounds me um because that 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 movie really is it, it's a great um, visualization of what that short story is. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, it's another short story that I revisit, you know, every once in a while too. And yeah, you know, like you said, for uh, Miguel plays the perfect skeezy tabloid reporter. So good at it. Yeah, it, it's just amazing. It just he was able to, you know, pull it off in that way. And. Um, yeah, and, and the vampire look, my God, that's probably one of my favorite as far as uh, on-screen vampires go. I think that look is just amazing. Yeah, it's so distinct. Yeah, and, and you know, even I remember reading the story and, you know, King describing having those, those giant holes in the sides of their necks mm. just was amazing. I just loved it. Um, so aside from Nightflyer, any other adaptations that, that you gravitate towards? Um, you know, like I said, I was watching a little bit of The Mist earlier. I've always, always enjoyed that, that film. Um, I may be one of the few people that can appreciate the, uh, the ending. <laughs> Yo, I know I, that that is a bone of contention among many people. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get why people have an issue with, with that ending. Um, I've, I've really tried to put myself in the shoes of people that that reject the ending um mm-hmm. I, I i don't get it because i mean to me the ending makes sense um i mean it it really shows the despair of the thomas jane character for him to have to to do what he did it just really i can't think of a a more impactful way to show what despair looks like and definitely and thomas jane does an amazing job of that too yeah yeah that it's hard that that last scene is just it's really hard mm-hmm. to watch um no, that movie's dope. That's that's a great movie right there. Definitely. All right, man. Um, so we've been talking for almost an hour now. Um, so I, I, we have the the Indiegogo campaign, which all we have to do is just go to Indiegogo.com and then type in one for the road, right? And it, it will just come up. Yeah. Yep. You'll see it. Um, not sure exactly where it places on the list, but it's up there. Okay. Um, and... For more information regarding One for the Road, where where might we direct our listeners? 
Um, we've got the website. It's just uh, one for the road, 2018.com. Uh, I post updates. Uh, you can find all the information about the cast, the crew. Um, you can contact me directly uh, through a form on there as well. And um, we have a Facebook page. It's uh, one for the road, 2018, I believe. And uh, you can just like the page. And uh, I share statuses that I share on my own personal account. And I also, you know, update through that Facebook page. And uh, I'm on Instagram. I always posting about this stuff at, uh, at JD Brucker. And uh, I'm also on Twitter doing the same thing uh, under the same handle at JD Brucker. And um, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's it. All right, Josh, I'm really excited. Um, I look forward to, to, to seeing the final product. Um, and, you know, we'll definitely be in touch. Um, and then sometime during production, uh, we should schedule a time to just check in with each other, see how everything's going. Um, and any any final words that you want to give our listeners? Um, I just look forward to uh, creating something that I feel like uh, Stephen King fan, horror fans, Lance Henriksen fans, are uh, just going to absolutely love. And uh, everybody involved is uh, super excited about the project and all of our contributors. And uh, we just hope that um, they're excited uh, just as much as we are. So, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. There is our interview with writer-director Josh Brucker of the upcoming One for the Road film. So, as as he and I discussed in this almost hour-long conversation, just head on over to Indiegogo.com, type in One for the Road, and then just look through the, the different options of, of what you can uh, contribute. Um, it, it can be as low as $5. If you have $5 and everyone that listens to the Stephen King cast... Um, just donates $5, this movie will get made. It's really as simple as that. So, And how cool would it be to know that when you sit down and watch that movie, that you had a hand in, in making it happen, that you were in turn helping out one of the members of our quartet um, into realizing a, a dream. So, and, and also, everything that Josh was saying, this applies to all of us. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, if you have a creative spark, you too can ignite that spark into a flame. So whatever you're doing, whatever your creative um, purpose is, all you have to do is just, and it's it sounds asinine saying it, but you just have to do it. You just have to shut off all the electronics and just do the work. If you do the work at something that you love, you'll be able to get it done. And then you'll be able to just reap the rewards of knowing that that you went out and did it. So let's all help Josh um, and and his dream of, of getting one for the road off of the ground. As I said, this is one of Stephen King's better short stories, and I would love to see it realized into an actual movie. And I now have an opportunity to, to, to help make that happen. So head on over to Indiegogo.com, um, type in one for the road, donate what you can, head on over to the IMDB page, head on over to one for the road 2018.com, and then like it and follow it on, on Facebook for all the updates. Okay, guys, um, so that's the end of this particular episode and uh next week guys next week is a big week next week is a huge week next week we see the release of the dark tower it's happening guys and i'll be seeing it wednesday night um 
and I will make sure to to get my thoughts out as as soon as possible. There might be an episode between this episode and and um, and the Dark Tower. There might not be. I don't know. But just in case there isn't an episode, it's coming, guys. It's coming. And uh, just today, uh, Junkie XL released the. Um, the uh the the music the the original soundtrack for for the dark tower and i've been listening to some of it and it is intense so when i think of the dark tower when i think of roland especially i think of someone that's intense dangerous and mysterious and those three adjectives can be used to describe the soundtrack itself so it's very very appropriate and roland's theme is badass and i cannot wait to see that music paired with idris elba so i am getting very very excited um about what this movie is going to look like i bought the the art of the dark tower um movie and i i looking through that book it shows just how much thought went into um, being faithful uh, to the core of what the Dark Tower is. So though there's going to be changes, the changes that are going to be made are only going to be made to encompass the entirety of the Dark Tower itself. So all the changes are being made to make it the most Dark Tower it can be, I guess is how I can say it. Um, but I, I'm excited. I'm excited. And if you haven't gotten your tickets, you can go get your tickets on Fandango.com. So why don't you guys do that? Um, because at the very least, um, if, if you're worried about the movie, if you don't like the casting, if you don't like the direction that they're taking and all the changes, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, you're getting a Dark Tower movie and putting money down on a Dark Tower movie is only going to... Um, make the possibility of another Dark Tower movie happening. So if you prove to Sony that you want this movie, Sony will greenlight a movie um, that will probably be more faithful to the one that um, you, you are looking for. So with all that said, next episode or the episode after next episode, next week I'm going to go see The Dark Tower and I will definitely be reviewing The Dark Tower. I cannot wait. And in the meantime, may you have long days and pleasant nights and I will see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast.